Welcome to Underqualified Thoughts. Uh, my name is Caleb, and I'm joined today by Andy. Andy, how are you doing today? Swimmingly. Tonight, shall I say. <laughs> okay. This is the sixth, sorry, no, seventh episode of season three. If you don't recall, we did talk with Tab the Recruiter in the Tab. past episode. And I would say that was a, um, a pretty delightful experience. Would you not say so that yourself? Oh, Top tier, high quality, big fan. I, I feel like that, that episode was more raw in the sense of you really get to see a person and their maybe biggest struggles of life, which honestly you don't really get to see ever. Like if you're not in a community or circle where those vulnerabilities are present, what person is just going to openly share all of their deepest, darkest moments? Yeah, all of their junk. I don't know what I was expecting out of it, but I really didn't ex I guess I didn't expect for it to go that like to be that powerful and to be that deep. I was like, Oh yeah, we'll talk about cancer and we'll talk about her recruiting journey and we'll talk about this. And I'm like, oh wait, one of yep. those is not like the other. It's gonna <laughs> Yeah. It's going to require a lot more heartfelt, vulnerable moments to tell that story. Yeah, I, I, the whole time I was thinking caution is the word. Not that you have to be gun-shy around people that have gone through major surgeries or cancer or things like that, but that you just, I feel like you really need to be sensitive about how you address those types of people and their, well, it's every every circumstance. I mean, it's like me talking with my wife about sensitive matters. It's just like you talking eventually with Lily about things that matter to her. Like You have to kind of tread carefully, I think I would say. Right. And you don't know what those things are going to be because whether it be someone getting like laid off or fired or, you know, her cancer story. I mean, I don't think my surgery story quantifies, but some other kinds of surgery would. And you're right. Not cautious in the sense that you're just walking on eggshells, but that you're considering the other person and you don't actually know what they went through, even if you went through it yourself, which to be fair, neither of us have, so we're even less qualified to talk about can We're even more underqualified to talk about cancer, but even if you have gone through it, the, the situation's different. You know, the fact that she was a new mom and all that stuff that she added, that added on top of it to make it even more difficult. That's right. So if you haven't given that a lesson yet, please go back because I think that was a, a, a really good one to, uh, to pay attention for. But going on to season three episode um seven wow you were meant to say five <laughs> dude yeah it, it is later at night and so i'm i'm about to like stop functioning here i'm quite proud of myself that i'm here right now actually thank you very much dude i am shocked that we're doing it this late when you told me your drop dead time was 10 30 at night i was floored so was caitlin but what's funny is to give more context on how late this is. This is the first underqualified thoughts that I've ever recorded in PJs. I'm wearing those stereotypical black and red checkerboard pajama pants. Oh man. But what's funny is that my energy just came back to me, as you know, and I don't care about sharing because it's over now. I fasted today and I went like <laughs> 22 hours deep and I, dude, I'm going to tell you, it was like the most zapped for energy I ever was. I went to bed the night before. I knew I wasn't like stuffed. I wasn't super full. And so I was like, oh no, this could be interesting tomorrow. And then I woke up this morning hungry and I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. 
And then not only did all of that happen, I happened. I then went through my workday, planned out dinner with my friends who were going to see tomorrow. So talked about dinner a lot. And then went to Walmart to get groceries so that I could cook dinner before eating when I got home. Dude, it was another level like the whole like last half hour I was just telling Kate and like talking to Lily being like dad is really lightheaded right now dad is trying to get this done so he can eat as quickly as possible it's hmm. funny well enough with the pleasantries let's get to the topic at hand today uh, as some of the viewers have got him understood it to be yep got him this time around we are doing a little bit more of a I come up with a topic that is surprising interesting relevant i don't know something i bring up and andy doesn't know that's what i'm excited for when i was going to point it out when you said the viewers are expecting it's it's funny to point out that i don't know what we're talking about so i don't know what we're expecting so i'm excited for this you surprise me and then i'm of course even more excited for my opportunity to surprise you next episode yeah so i really thought about doing something way out in left field but it's like I've been thinking about some things for the past week or two. I think I might have talked briefly about some of those things. So I'm just going to lay it out there. We're done with like the first six minutes of the intro. So really it's five minutes. So I'm going to give you guys the thesis. Okay. And then after the thesis, I'll, uh, we'll just start into the conversation. Okay. Miss, Mr. Beast would have said we needed to give the thesis in the first 15 seconds while yelling. But yeah, well, we're not Mr. Beast. So it's fine. So... Let me get the numbers out for you. Ooh. The average, I think it's American. I think you could probably say the average human. But, you know, like, what is such thing as the average human? I just mean that the random person you might know in America averages three to four hours on their phone every single day. Okay. Yep, there it is. Just, Just hang with me on this. Three to four hours. The math, and I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> We're married to mathematicians, so yeah, it's we got good. a chance. Goes to show, and and like I'm, I'm pulling up a calculator just to, um, you know, just just to do a quick little check. Some would say three for hours, posterity's sake. Every yeah, three three hours every year equals a thousand or so hours each year okay assuming that you started using your phone by the time you were like 15 20 and let's just say that you live the average life of 75 80 let's just go with the number of you have a phone for 60 years and obviously like for this generation we don't know the amount of consumption they're going to have when they're 75 we don't know what that's going to look like yet because obviously we're not there but if you do a thousand hours each year and you uh, and you just maintain that consumption for the next sixty years. That's hold on, I can't type fast. Calculating, enough. dude. Do you think the yeah. Jeopardy theme song or the the music before Final Jeopardy is copyright free? Because if so, we could just clip that in right here. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that would be almost seventy thousand hours of your screen, your phone, whatever your life. So seven. Yeah, of your of your life, yeah, seventy hours, uh, seventy thousand. Sorry, uh, again, it's getting a little late. The math is not okay. <laughs> seventy thousand hours, and so that would be almost three thousand days 
which equals the big number, almost eight years of your life on your phone, the average American average human. So I, I was thinking about these numbers and I said to myself, like what, and this is the end of my thesis, I said to myself, what is my current average? Hmm. I looked it up <laughs> and there it is, is two to three, two to three hours. <laughs> wow. And I was like, well, I guess Caleb is average now. So uh -huh, slightly below time, average. Uh, yeah, slightly below. But, you know, if you look at the um, the average of my days, it does come out to be about three. Some days it's two, some days it's four. That's how averages work, I guess. <clears throat> anyway, Andy would know that last two weeks ago, I tried to put my phone in grayscale mode only. And within like a day or two, I absolutely failed. I couldn't, I couldn't bear it. Bro, what? I, You're just telling me this now? My phone's been in grayscale since we talked about it. What the heck? I, I told you, like, I, I just, I couldn't stick with it. And obviously phones and devices are very colorful. Anyway, I'm going to stop there and ask the point blank question. Andy, what do you think about all these things? Bro, well, first off, I just reacted. What gives? I knew that you told me today that you had taken grayscale off. And I'm like, oh, he did that recently. He just, he, he tried. It didn't work out, whatever. But you, you didn't even make it 48 hours. Come on, man. I just want, I just, I will clarify that every single one of my devices was grayscale. My work computer, my home computer, my phone, everything. And I'm telling you, it was drab at work. I mean, it was absolutely drab. All right. Plenty of things to react to, the drabness being one of them. But the first thing I want to point out, and we got to get ahead of it, because now that we're on YouTube, commenters are coming. Trollers are coming. So I'm going to get ahead of the comments. Nobody make fun of Caleb for the fact that it took him eight years to figure out the math of that you'll be on your phone for eight years if you're average. Give him a break. It's past 8 p.m. The drabness point. I had done the grayscale thing in the past to little success, or I guess you'd say mixed success. Sometimes it works, then I get used to it, then I still use my phone just as much as before, and it's not really making much of a difference, so I just take it off grayscale anyway. But when I did it this time, I didn't notice the drabness that you were talking about, because normally when people talk about it, it's like, the, the life around you looks more vibrant. I'm like, it looks the same. And now my phone is sad. So... You know, whatever. <laughs> I, I've gone, it's not a big miss, but it's a minus one experience. Then I, I think it was something for work. Cause yeah, I did it on my work computer, like you suggested. And I just tested it out with a coworker when I went to share my screen in a Teams meeting. And I was like, can you see color on my screen or is it black and gray? Cause I didn't know. If it, well, you know, however it would look. Cause I know if I take pictures on my mm -hmm. phone and send them to you, they'd still have color. She told me, she's like, yeah, it's all gray. And so I went and I changed it, you know, so I switched it back and forth for meetings when I'm presenting something. And when I turned that color back on, I was like, this is a moment where we need to have a uh, video. Cause I was like, like I was blown away. I was oh, like, yeah so enamored by i don't know if it's something that i've just compartmentalized because not to say that my work is dull all the time but i do experience more dull moments at work than i do in other areas of life just because all is vanity even if the job work is fine yeah. there's still moments where it's just grunt work so 
I must have just compartmentalized it and just not perceived the computer to be that stimulating or engaging or whatever. But when I turned it back on, the email text was popping off of the screen <laughs> and the you know the team's messages, especially like the notification where it's like you have however many messages, that was screaming off the screen and I was just it didn't when I first turned grayscale on it didn't think I didn't think it made that much of a difference because it didn't make the rest of my life brighter but when I turned it back off for that meeting and every time I've done it since yeah I was just floored at how desensitized I had become to that color those colors oh yeah yeah after my one day of doing it and whenever I got back to work I flipped it over and I just, it was equal shock. I mean, I was the case study where I was like, oh, the world is so colorful because I had never done that before. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm telling you, and I think you have a better, one of the reasons for bringing this up with you is because I think you have a better grasp of your social media, screen time, YouTube awareness thing. I think, and let me know if this is what you're going for. I think I would say I struggle with it more, not because you don't struggle with it, but potentially I'm more inclined to struggle with it, or I've had worse habits in the past that make it worse now. And I've come through the season of being like, we just have to get rid of all of it to learning that I can't get rid of all of it. So I just need to learn how to manage it better. So let's talk about that because I'm in the party right now where I want to just as you know. <laughs> end it all. Get Take r- it away. Get rid of it. Yeah, <laughs> just end it all. I mean, what's what's the point of this? I'm I'm kind of and the viewers will understand. I'm I'm more so about the whole social media is always it can never be a net neutral. Is that what the is that what the phrase is again? The phrase would be you think it's an you don't just think it's net negative, you think it's all negative. Yeah, I think it's going to stay negative. And I, I think you would go at it as a, we want to re- keep it returning to a net neutral, right? Dude, I'm just scrolling back through my LinkedIn feed looking for the post I made about this. Let's see. Yeah. Keep going. So so yeah, for me, for that's where I'm coming at. I, right now, I feel like it's there's no chance ever that it will be neutral in any case. That's me. Andy's, I think, more on that other side, and so that's why we're here talking about it. Because recently, I've gotten off, I haven't really gotten off LinkedIn. I'm just not on LinkedIn. I'm still there, but I haven't checked it in two days. And that's like a big streak for me. It's pretty big for a content creator. Yep. Come on. We've all seen those black and gray posts. The black and white image to declutter your screen. The people are missing it. Break up the all noise. Right. Yeah, break up the noise. So I'm pulling up two posts. I have, there's two of them. Oh, erg. All right, it didn't do what I wanted it to do. I tried to open the post and it just opened my profile. All right, so I'll just look through one at a time. I made two posts about social media on LinkedIn. I guess to say I made two posts like specifically targeting social media and social media use and kind of detailing what I had experienced. To answer the the net negative question, something that is uncommon, and I think we can stand up and stand out with, is that you and I don't have a personal Facebook, 
Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Like yep. we have YouTube profiles because we have Google profiles and I watch YouTube as like my main source of content for like over a decade. But as far and as I like, would agree, I would agree. As far as like traditional social media goes, we don't have personal profiles. I didn't cl- delete my LinkedIn. I've told this story a bit and we'll tell it more. But briefly, when I went to UBS, they basically were like, strip down your LinkedIn to nothing or delete it. And for whatever reason, I didn't delete it. I just stripped it down to nothing. So that when I left UBS, I was like, all right, let me just bring back LinkedIn, you know, because I'm looking for a job. I didn't view it as social media. Then I got on there, saw how you were acting, saw how Tab was acting. And I was like, well, wait a minute, what's happening? Is this social media too? And so I just watched her and you and Josh address Leslie Wyrish, Dewan Brown, shot them all out. I'm looking at who I tagged in this post. And basically, just to kind of just hit the summary of the first post, and then we can talk about the second one, it was just a post where I was asking, how do you view the impact of social media? And I talked about how I used to see it as all negative, but now I see it as net negative. You know, I deleted all the socials at some point during COVID. I kept watching YouTube, though. I would watch people like The Bible Project and Hashtag United and like all of my cooking YouTubers. And they were making positive impact through like their medium was social media. So I was like, this is confusing. This is some cognitive dissonance. I think social media is awful and terrible and horrible, yet I'm gaining a lot from it while still struggling with it at the same time. I basically, all those people I shouted out from you, Tab, and the others, I saw what y'all were doing on LinkedIn and was like, this is like, is a positive impact, whether how big or small it is, we can argue about. But you guys are using storytelling on social media to impart practical wisdom. And that's something that is valuable. And even if we, you know, all choose to not all but like let's say the people who recognize that social media is an issue and we shouldn't be on it if we all retreated there's still millions if not billions of people on social media and so it's not going to go away instead of retreating fully from social media i was like okay it's time to critically engage and try and do so in a way where i am moving the needle from net negative to net neutral And that's kind of like my, this is why I'm here, line in the sand, flag on the moon, whatever analogy where it's like, hey, I'm here, I'm doing this. Because, yeah, I'm an optimist. I was going to point this out earlier. I don't know if your view on social media is because you think it's that bad or if you're not as optimistic as me. We can dive into that if we want to. But I think net positive is probably naive, but I think net neutral is possible that there can be enough good done that it can try and outweigh the bad. Yeah. And if we were to think about like our screens in general and the amount of time we're on them, I think the majority of time people would find, I mean, for me, like the the high percentage would be, was LinkedIn, obviously, social media for what it's worth, YouTube. And that's really, I mean, that's really it. So like the high percentages. So I guess my my thought was, well, like how how are those things serving me versus me serving them? Let's take LinkedIn, for example, because that's the one that I'm more recently kind of off of. 
how how is it serving me? Well, obviously it's like a platform to help me get my job, but as of right now, it's really just an engagement site. I'm just chatting with people. I'm just posting and, and dialoguing with people about things that I do care about. But in my real life is the loss of, well, let's just take an hour and a half or two hours every day worth it for me. And I said, well, no, like it's really not. Um, the amount of things I can do in two hours that are more helpful are, are, are significant. Mow the grass, pick up the acorns, rake some leaves. All of those things, yeah. You're a, tr- you're a bona fide homeowner there. <laughs> yeah. I think it does come down to like what people's priorities are. I mean, if they didn't have anything better to do, that does get into a different conversation too because within my community, church, We've been talking a lot about like the, and, and this, this would actually get like culture is saying this is a lie. This is where you might get hosed. I might get hosed, not you. You can, your beliefs <laughs> can be your own. <laughs> Do you like how I'm, I made a disclaimer for you in that? Yes, please, please speak for yourself. <laughs> so we've been talking recently about the, I uh, hopefully I say this correctly, toxic attributes that the world places on men for example men are to be feared men are aggressive men are dangerous men steal break in they destroy they hurt relationships men cause all of these things and to some extent yes we all do we all kind of attribute and have something in us that breaks each other down anyway so where we've been going with that thought is Take work, for example. You and I talked about it earlier today. Before, and and without getting too biblical here, (laughs) (laughs) before sin entered the world. Before the world was broken. Yeah. Work was ordained by God. Like, and he said, this is good. Go and do your thing in the garden, right? And, And that was before the fall. And so I've come to this belief that everything we're doing... And I don't know if you can really, if you were a non-Christian or unbeliever, if you were detached from faith or religion of any sort, I don't really know where you'd go with this too much because your your hope is kind of in whatever you're pursuing. So if it's your work or YouTube or social media, like that's where you find your kind of faith in a way. Anyway, I'm rambling now because it's late. But where I'm going with this is, with social media. Hold on. What's my excuse when I ramble and it's not late? I don't know. It's just your personality. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It is late. I have to say, I don't, I don't, let, I don't, I never talk this late at night. <laughs> <laughs> I just think the time we've been given is valuable. There's this list of things that the world says we are, men are, and there's a list of things that I want to pursue that are anti that list. I want to be a good father to my child. I want to be a good husband to my wife. I want to be a good steward of my time, money, and energy with my community. And those things are directly like against what the world says I am inherently. So limiting my time on my phone or limiting YouTube or LinkedIn is kind of my, my maybe action items to do those things. I thought you were about to say something else for those uh, viewers who can't actually view. Caleb just like pulled his head so back from the microphone and it looks like you were about to say all of that to say, but then I quickly realized (laughs) 
Oh, he's just taking no, a deep I'm just, breath. I'm just done. Thought he's rolling. That. He's rolling the neck back. He's like, "Wow, that's a weight off my chest." Okay. So first off, thank you for speaking for yourself. Second off, <laughs> I would say that those are certainly underqualified thoughts, and that's why we're here. Like those are just your ramblings of what you've been processing in it. So in some areas, it tied to social media. In some areas, it was like, what the? This man went. <laughs> now, he didn't just go, come out of left field. He wasn't even in the stadium on that comment. But <laughs> I think all of this is here and is in the spirit of his conversation. So we'll allow it. Thanks. The first thing I wanted to point out was we should just call this episode and we should maybe create a series. It's underqualified thoughts after hours. Just anytime we record after like 5 p.m. <laughs> And then more to what you were actually saying, I have this tendency in me, sometimes it can be used for good, but a lot of the times if it goes unchecked, it's for bad. It's in your conversation. I heard one thing that I didn't. Oh, you told me about this. As the old people would say, I wouldn't jive with. So like, that's the only thing I can think about right now. And it was the fact that you said, if you have nothing better to do, like, sure, go on social media. And I'm here to say that I'm on social media because it is something better for me to do. Hmm. I'm going to wrap my head around that real quick. Do you want some clarification here? I mean, yeah, yeah. Tell your story. Tell your truth. So I don't stop that. (laughs) You know what you're doing. Hey, Tabitha, we we love that phrase, by the way. Just keep it up. Okay. Caleb loves that phrase. I do love that phrase. I'm triggered by that phrase, but I understand at its core that it's not abysmal. So the (laughs) thing that I would agree with as for, you know, if you have nothing better with your time or nothing better to do with your time is what you call doom scrolling. I don't know if you came up with that. You coined that term, but you're the first person I heard it from. No, it's a... Just it's a phrase. I, I I did not coin that, nor do I want to have coined that. All right. Well, Caleb Youngbud heard it here first. Doom scroller. So I definitely doom scroll. I don't just doom scroll when I had social media. I do it on YouTube. That algorithm has me, dude. It will just and not the suggested video. Like I'm not a boomer who just leaves suggested video on, but on the you know on the right hand side where they have that feed of, yay, hey, watch this if you like this. I click it all the time. I'll spend hours on the YouTube rabbit hole. What I'm trying to cut out in my life is doom scrolling and just mindless moments where I am not thinking. I'm just acting based off the habits that I've been developing for over a decade. So that is what I'm trying to cut out. That is honestly when I quote unquote didn't have anything better to do with my life, aka before I was a dad, I did that so much more, didn't even think about it. And now that we have Lily, it's more painfully aware that me doing that is directly taking from my family. Sad that it took so long to get here, but whatever, we're here now. What I'm trying to do is, I used the word critically engage earlier, but more specifically, or I guess more like an an everyday language, I would say I'm just trying to make a positive impact on social media Not because I think social media is the only place or the best place to do it, but social media is the place geared towards amplification of your voice. 
And so I can do things on social media and say things and get it to far more people than I ever could talking in my community. And how I'm trying to engage on social media, specifically LinkedIn, is to show all sides of my personality and not just be a stuffy professional version of myself. Or speaking of toxic, toxic thought leadership, where you just talk down and say, I did this, I did that. You need to do that too, because it's a it's blanket advice that's going to fit in every single scenario of your life. Yep. I'm trying to model those conversations that we are having. And that's honestly what we're trying to do with the podcast. We're trying to model conversations where you don't just talk about, oh, yeah, haha, like I'm on social media for four hours. Then you laugh about it and move on. Yep. But like the conversations where you go, I'm on social media for four hours. Why am I on there for four hours? What could I yep. be doing? Do I need to completely cut it out or do I just need to think about how I'm going to engage and then put parameters around it so I don't go past that? I'm trying to model that on social media. Once I've thought through that, once I've had those conversations with you or Caitlin or someone else, I put it online. I try and reveal the curtain and say, hey, this is why I got here. This is what I did wrong to get me to the point where I had to think about this critically and really examine what I was doing. And now that I've done that, here's this. And I hope that the person reading it, it triggers that thought in them. And then they take that away and have a positive impact on their culture and their community around them. Yeah. I mean, I suppose there's very few things that are incredibly black and white. And this area is gray. I mean, you could take your thought there of, well, what if being on social media is productive for me and say, well, what if doom scrolling is productive for me like what if that is my it helps me somehow i mean if you look at the hardcore cases out there that use it as a i don't know maybe like a research model of some sort there are very few cases i would say that truly would say that that's correct but that's where the idea of understanding why you do what you do or why you believe what you believe is important because if you do find that to be true Can you actually back it up? And as Andy highlighted, that's one of the good reasons why we're here, because we believe that inherently everyone is underqualified to try to back up why they believe what they believe. I mean, if you think about trying to prove why you like something when you were like five years old, you didn't really have a good reason. You just really, really liked it, whatever the thing is. I think that mindset continues with us even into the bigger things of life our jobs or phones or whatever the issues might be or our wives that was the hard to jump on this and then to let you get back on your thought that was the hardest thing during our premarital counseling or just when anyone was asking like why i was going to marry caitlin specifically when they were like give me the top three reasons why you're going to marry caitlin i was like i told caitlin this and so this isn't going to be news to her i was like i don't have top three reasons I just know, I know I'm underqualified to make this decision. I didn't say that at the time, but looking back now, I'm underqualified to make this decision. I'm not prepared for this, but I know that I know that I know as much as I can that I want to do this and I'm ready to do this. Of course, I've made a ton of mistakes along the way and realized how severely underqualified I am. I just wanted to jump on that. We are most, I am most certainly underqualified to communicate in the majority of moments why I'm doing something or why I like something or dislike something else. Well, and that's hopefully why 
I mean, even with these conversations, people will be able to reflect on them. And then when they are in those situations, be able to say, hey, here's why I might not know the whole picture, but I'll give you my best. Like, I'll give you my best kind of reasons. Same thing with like having a baby, you know, that whole thing. I mean, it's the whole imposter syndrome. I shouldn't be a father right now. How am I a father? You know, like those types of thoughts apply in marriage and having a baby, buying your first home. Like you said, taxes. I mean, like there's just a ton of different circumstances. You're shaking your head now. No, because you brought up taxes. And so I thought about that whole situation and I'm just shaking my head. (laughs) So my takeaways. I got plenty more things to talk about, but because I kind of just briefly walked through in a very roundabout way why I think social media is net negative, but I haven't haven't fully gone into the story. Yeah, I haven't gotten fully gone into my struggles of how I got there. Well, then let's do that. Take 10 minutes and then we'll (laughs) conclude with some takeaways. Thank you for giving me 10 minutes. I will take 15 or more. We're going to be great. So the... Gist of my story. So I'm going to tell it in this order. Let me brag about myself. And by bragging about myself, I'll immediately be able to expose myself. Do you know what my average, do you have a guess what my average screen time on my phone was last week? Well, I know you've been doing like, I thought you've been doing better than you've done before, but I don't know what it was before. So Hmm. I'm I'm just going to throw a dart and I'll go with like a low average of one and a half hours a day. Let me pat myself on the back here and then expose myself immediately after. My daily average screen time was one hour and 11 minutes. Hmm. Okay. That's, that's pretty good, honestly. My screen time on Monday for my phone, 14 minutes. What? I'm just saying, that's what it says. It wasn't this Monday. It was the Monday before that. I have no clue why it's that low. All that to say, that's the screen time on my phone. It does not say the screen time on the personal laptop that we use here. If I could find that data easily, be through the roof. And it doesn't show you what my phone looks like. So to just put it briefly, you talked about how social media if you can doom scroll and use it positively, you don't think that's a possibility, but you can't out, like rule it out completely. Yeah. If you can't rule it out completely, at the very least, we can admit it's very hard because social media is designed to not let us use it that way. Yep. It is right. designed to grab our attention and to keep us scrolling until extinction. Extinction obviously means death, but it means like to you're like sick of yourself. You don't want to see it again. You never want to do it again. And then you find yourself there the next day. And so for nearly half of my life, that's how I've used social media. I got my first smartphone when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. I remember being made fun of because that was so quote unquote late in the game to get my first smartphone. But as soon as I got it, I was on YouTube pretty much from the start. I eventually got, no, at that point I already had a Facebook. I, I don't know when Instagram was created, so but I had one of those. I had Snapchat. I was all over it just Constantly, when I was at my house, I was on it. When I was in my room, I was watching YouTube videos. And so, you know, you don't really realize at that time, at least at my age, if I if we want to give myself credit, I was under the age of 18. So like, what was I, what was I supposed to know that I was doing in my brain? And 
I just kept going, you know, kept growing like intellectually to know that it wasn't good for me, but wasn't growing in like willpower and self-discipline. So, you know, I think as I put it in my post here, I wasn't good enough to beat the machine and it was just taking over. I tried everything. And then once I realized this was a problem, like I realized it was a problem in at some points during college and tried to cut it. I realized at some points as an adult, single and married. And then of course, this was like the big, the big kick in the butt was a lily knowing that, you know, I have to change something. And so things I tried in the past that either didn't work or I had mixed success with was putting my phone in grayscale, setting screen time limits, removing apps from my phone, blocking social media, deleting my accounts, and then selling the tablet that I owned so that I would have fewer screens. And so I was like going for it, trying to get rid of it. And still I would find a way if I had screen time limits, it would say like, do you want to extend this screen time? And one of the options was extend it till the end of the day. We'll click that every single time, pretty much. And, you know, blocking social media sites on my phone, I would then just like either re-download the app or go check them on a, on the computer. And basically just every blocker that I put into place, it was something that I got around. And then what made, has made it better to the point where I'm here is, so still at this point, I pretty much, I don't have LinkedIn. When LinkedIn was on my phone, like a month ago, my screen time was over four hours. Like I don't have the data in front of me, but I can confidently say it was. Hmm. Yeah. So what I ended up doing on top of that, like I deleted pretty much if the app doesn't need to be on my phone, it's not on my phone. The phone's back in grayscale now, and that is helping. It's adding a little more friction there. But the bigger things that I'm doing are I'm being vulnerable in community. Essentially, you and Caitlin and just people who I'm I'm just talking about the story more often. I'm willing to say like, hey, I've been addicted to watching YouTube for a long time, whether it's actually addicted or just a yep. really high, high obsession. Don't know, but I'm just going to start talking about it. I have Caitlin who has the passcode to lock out. I can't use the internet on my phone unless I get her passcode. I can't go to the app store and I can't watch YouTube. Like she has the passcode for all of those. Every other app is deleted on my phone. YouTube, you can't delete on Android phones. You can only disable it. But then once you disable it, you can't put a passcode to enable it. So I have to leave it on my phone and give it a passcode so that I can't get into it. That's the extent that I'm going here. Caitlin's also in the past put laptop parental control restrictions on. And we don't have that right now. But that was something that I was doing about a month ago. And then I'm adding friction to entertainment because entertainment is the biggest reason I go to social media whether it be doom scrolling just like turning my brain off watching content that doesn't matter so when I get home from work oh this is funny I did this before we moved and I haven't done this yet because my my desktop computer doesn't work it got (laughs) messed up in the move so I haven't had to do this so what I'm doing right now that's really effective is having a computer that doesn't work when it did (laughs) I would unplug my keyboard and my mouse from my work from home desktop put those away in a drawer in a closet. And then for the batteries for our remote, for our Google Chromecast, which was what would let me watch YouTube on the TV, the batteries were out of that. And what's funny is the batteries are in it now, but because we're not letting Lily watch TV, that's been enough of a barrier for me to not do it. Hmm. 
And then the last one was creating instead of just consuming. And that really has, I've had to be careful with it. Caitlin and I have had plenty of conversations where she felt like I, in a given day, am prioritizing underqualified thoughts or my posts on LinkedIn more than her and Lily. And that's been true at times. And so I've had to, I haven't received that criticism well the majority of the time, but when I take a step back and think about it, I know she's right to a degree and I know I struggle with it, which is why it's so painful when she brings it up. But outside of that, I think of those situations where I it does spiral out of control and I'm staying up to whatever point at night, like uploading our episodes on the YouTube, creating on here and doing something and trying to seek for a way to give more than I receive has helped me to be like, this is a, a fun venture that I'm going for rather than just a purposeless turn my brain off. I don't want anything to do with life right now, so I'm just going to distract myself. Yep. And the last point. But actually, I'll get your thoughts because this is a bit of a pat on the back. It could come across that way, but I'm really just excited to share this story. So I'll let you give your thoughts on the first part that I shared. Well, I was just going to say you have to have something you're living for. Take the world, for example. A lot of those things you said about like putting restrictions on your phone and doing all these things, at the end of the day, they might say, why do you even have a phone? <laughs> Just get a flip phone. This close. Literally, Google Maps is the reason why I haven't gotten a flip Mm. phone yet. But go on. That's a good point. Anyway, the world would find it foolishness because the world doesn't have much they're living for other than themselves. When we live for ourselves, when we're selfish, like you were saying, Caitlin and Lily suffer. Miriam and McKamey suffer because their needs aren't placed at any value higher than our own and so i just want to throw that in there again and just say we do these things or i do these things at least and i'm sure you agree we do these things so that we can benefit those that we care most about and and be selfless towards them the family our faith the community those are the things that matter i will also say that i am part of this is self-serving in the sense that it would not be too infrequent of a Saturday morning that if I didn't have anything planned when I was single in Charlotte and I was building community here, but you know, whatever, we weren't going to do anything until a later time on Saturday. I think I would like wake up. Maybe I would go to the gym. Maybe not. I would probably just roll on a bed, have breakfast. And if I went to the gym, then afterwards I would sit on the couch turn on YouTube on our TV and quite literally watch YouTube until I felt sick in my stomach and never wanted to do it again and never wanted to feel that way again. Straight up two, three, four hours, like just keep going nonstop. Yep. And then, you know, I'd have plenty of moments where I'd be like, this is my last video. And then it wasn't. And then there'd be another hour go by. And then eventually at some point, whatever, I would have gone to extinction. And I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I would feel awful about myself that, you know, I just wasted so much time in my day. And why did I tell that story? What did you say? Oh, so that is partially self-serving. I don't want to feel like that anymore. But what actually got me to kick the habit was the pain that I was feeling from letting down Caitlin when she was communicating that I was letting down her and Lily. To your point, this just came in my head. Everyone say it with me. Caleb says it all the time. The pain of discipline is better than the pain of regret. 
I mean, that's true. There have been times earlier in our marriage where Caitlin had brought up, and I'd been trying to work on it. I'd been getting better, but it had been marginally better, if that, where she would say, you know, you come home and like, we're ready to hang out. And what you want to do to hang out is watch a YouTube video instead of whatever, spend high quality time with each other. Sharing a YouTube video with her is quality time. It's just not the highest quality time. Yep. So that was like a little bit of discomfort and I was starting to get better at that, but it wasn't significantly different and, you know, becoming a dad and just seeing Caitlin struggling to take care of Lily and knowing that I was still watching those videos on my own at times because I wanted to. And at times because in just like a split second, like, yes, I made a choice, but that choice was so automatic that I would have looked at you and said, like, I didn't choose to do it. Like it just, like I got sucked in. So that pain is what really kicked me in the butt to talk about it more, think about it more and kind of light that fire again of how can we do this and do this well, because this isn't going away. I can't just wishfully think that one day I won't be interested in watching YouTube videos. I got to I got to do something about it. Yep. And I don't know what those issues were. I mean, some people might be like, oh, well, culture is just changing, you know, maybe. But I feel like there's things that happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s that affected those young men, young families as well. You know, this isn't, as they said, there's nothing new under the sun. Social media is definitely way more at our fingertips. But like, I've got to imagine that there was something alluring people like us back then as well. Oh, I mean, there are other things alluring me right now. Like I could probably get away with more social media if that was my main form of entertainment. But there are other things that I want to do that could easily become obsessions. And we've had to talk about balancing with Lily. I want to work out and stay in shape. And I can easily put that as, oh, well, I'm doing it because 50 years from now or whatever, 30 years from now, I want to be able to play with my grandkids. And that's true, but it's also you don't want to take care of Lily right now. This is easier. This is more beneficial for you. Well, why don't you do it at a time where Caitlin and Lily are asleep? I'm like, oh, well, no, I don't want to do it then. And so there's that. There's rock climbing. There's you know, just meeting up and getting like lunch or dinner with friends, which all this, all three of those things, good things, but when not kept in, like when not having the appropriate perspective, you can easily get sucked into them to, and allured, as you said, into them to make them the main thing. Yep. Yeah, I definitely agree. So to circle, not all the way back, but back to the final point of the story that I want to Shot from the rooftop, jump up and down, and celebrate. I'd been thinking about how on social media, so all those people who influenced me to get on LinkedIn and use that as a place to make a difference in the world and use my voice, they introduced me to even more people, specifically Nate Randall, who got shouted out in the last episode, CEO of Gab. He very much so talks about building a community on LinkedIn by giving and so that just like including others shouting them out giving along the way so that once you have built that community you're not just building it based on yourself you're building it based on 
gratitude, generosity, all those things. So I had been trying to figure out how to think about it. And to be fair, in the beginning, I would shout out people on my LinkedIn who were bigger than me. It's something called, I told you about this, it's called social hacking, where I would write a post. It wouldn't wouldn't be disingenuous, like it would be a real post that I cared about the thing that I was writing about. But I would tag them so that they would see it, that they would react. It would show to their network and I would get bigger. And so I quickly... That one, no one called me out for it, but I very quickly was like, this is not okay. This is not good for me to hide behind generosity for my gain. And so I'd been thinking about how to do that better. And so I decided to just start sharing my personal stories. And then this guy named Luke, I'll keep his last name private because no last names, especially if you're not a public figure. He found my LinkedIn page. Literally don't know how, have no mutual connections with him. This man has like had at the time, like 10 connections on LinkedIn. Like he had just created his LinkedIn profile, but somehow he found the post where I wrote about the fact that I don't go above the speed limit because when I do, it's a heart issue because I'm putting myself and my priorities over the people around me on the road. And that's what I wrote the post about just kind of that meditation that I had on a question that was asked to me six years ago about should we go over the speed limit that wisdom from that like hit and I started applying it I've been doing it for about two years I shared the post I tried to share it in like this isn't legalism like if I'm trying to merge I'm going to accelerate up if even if it's above the speed limit to get in so I can safely merge rather than do something unsafe by trying to keep the speed and You know, if I accidentally, I'm going down a hill and I look and I'm five miles an hour over, I'm not going to pull myself over and say, give myself a talking to or whatever. So I write this post and I put it up and it was received really well. I was like super excited and happy that one of my posts where I was talking about something that matters rather than just being a goof and showing off that side of my personality uh, was doing well. And he made a post. So context. I made a post shouting out him the same way Aaron Luber shouted you out because I saw that and was like, yes, this is what I can do because Aaron had like 30,000 followers on LinkedIn and you had 1,600 or something at the time. I was like, this, this is what I can do. I can shout out people who are smaller, not in significance or in value, but just have fewer people following their page on LinkedIn And that is how I can get closer to giving rather than receiving and not expecting anything in return. So I made a post shouting him out, just super straightforward. I was like, hey, this kid came out of nowhere. He is super thoughtful and kind and considerate and engages deeply on the conversations we're talking about. And he posts himself weekly. Go check him out. He then wrote a post. Like I got his permission to share the post. And then he asked the same thing back to me, which I wasn't expecting And then he basically just wrote a post about that speed limit post that I wrote. And he said, the point of Andy's post was that it's easy to forget the perspective of the people we share a space with. It's easy to overlook the motivations of someone who's doing something for a different reason than we are. We want to get home fast. Other people just want to get home safe. I've been on a selfish path for the last few months as I work towards starting a career. Less time with family, less time for friends. If someone wants to do something with me, it needs to be on my schedule. And at times, this perspective is necessary, but Andy reminded me that I was losing perspective of the people around me that I cared about and to remind myself to not take those around me for granted. 
I decided to start posting weekly about something that I was grateful for and Hmm. something I had learned. I was just like floored. I like read that and was like, I can't even process what's happening right now. Like, I can't say all my dreams are coming true, but the fact that, you know, there's the phrase, I was telling Caitlin this last night, there's the phrase we sit on the shoulders of the giants who came before us, like what they thought about, like they read, in this case, they read scripture and then they meditated on it and then they shared their learnings and so on and so on. It goes all the way down and gets to us here 2000 years later. And in a very small way, someone talked to Jeff Highfield, who was my Bible study leader at Virginia Tech, and asked him the question of if you should go to the speed limit. He asked that question to our group. Six years or four years later, I finally applied it. Six years later, I shared that question on a public platform where someone who I would never meet in real life read that post. And then not only did he... Like he saw something deeper in that than I did. I only wrote about that because I was like, I need to be, I need to have a healthier perspective when I'm driving because it's a hard issue. And that's all from what I recall that I talked about on that post. And he took it and was like, yes, I don't just need that when I'm driving. I need that in my personal life when I'm chasing after my goals so that I don't push away the people that I care about. And I was just like, bro, what? It felt like validation that, I've been saying, let's push for a net neutral, not knowing if it's actually possible. And I still don't know if it's actually possible. But the fact that I was able to do that, and if Luke is being genuine and he's actually applying this into his real life, I actually made real world difference, not because of anything I did, but just because I shared my story so that some person who I've never met on the other side of the country could realize that their priorities were out of a line and now they're going to take action to love and care for those around them better. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure there's a good way to summarize that encapsulate it pretty well. Do you know why there's not a better way to summarize? It's not because I perfectly said it, but because I just rambled for so long, had such a high energy, (laughs) was so all the top, you're just like, yeah, you're kind of yelling at me. I don't I don't really know how to I mean yeah we we take it all I think I think what it is is we uh we need to know why we do what we do and in that case you thought it out and Luke thought it out and the people that you were influencing through a tool were able to think it through and those things all apply to our lives whether it's screen time or our relationships with those around us I'm slowly going to be falling asleep now um, any further comments? Hey, you told me your drop dead time was an hour from now. We can start another Google Meet. We can just keep rolling. No, I'm kidding. I don't think that would be a good idea. <laughs> I don't think it'd be a great one either. So I think the the point just to nail on the head here, you said social media is a tool. I say that a lot for money, like money is a tool. It's often linked to dynamite. Dynamite's a tool. It's a very powerful tool. It can be used for good to like, clear some rock to get people out from underneath the rubble or it can be used for utter destruction and the you know the tricky thing with social media and this tricky thing with money is that it's not often marketed or presented as a tool so the first tool that they that they the proverbial they use to convince you to seek more money and seek more 
entertainment on social media is that it's not a tool. This is something that you can find complete satisfaction in, which just isn't true. Yep. But then even if you don't fully buy into that and you don't see social media as a tool, it can be a trap to think that this is where you can find real community. And not that, that there aren't that there aren't aspects of real community, but when I say real community, I mean the thing that you lean on and depend on when times are hard, when times are good, the people in your corner aren't people that you rub shoulders with, rub elbows with, you see daily, and you're able to put a manufactured version of yourself out there, and so that person doesn't know what it's like to be in a social setting with you, and then one of your issues pops up, like where you're not a good listener, or you're not considerate, and you don't help clean up after dinner, or all these other things that when you're in community, people can see, hold you accountable for, and then of course, celebrate you when you're making progress and growing. So yeah, the, the two sides, uh, there's plenty of errors with social media, but there's a one error on the corporate level where they want you to be dependent on it. Then there's the error on your side where you see it as something that you can depend on because there is a small aspect of community there.